Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Piron. Well, I'll tell you right up front, Barton Russell, Bart Russell is one of my oldest friends, and I I really love him. I think he is such a great person, and his greatness is in his accessibility, his good humor, and his keen eye for what makes a small community, a small town tick, and who are the people who do that. And he celebrated these hometown heroes for, in so many ways, for so many years with uh, the various roles that he's taken nationally and here in my home state, Connecticut, and, and now with the Barton Russell Group. He's just a great person. <laughs> what can I say? I've talked to over 100 wonderful people for this podcast, and now I'm sharing with you a conversation with a very unique leader, actually, Bart Russell. I think I've probably said, folks, in several of my introductions over the 200 plus episodes, that uh, this is a person I've long wanted to have in the podcast. And I mean it this time, for sure, because Bart Russell and I were together some years back when he knew that I was retiring as a professor and I had a real keen interest in the work of Peter Vale, who's been featured throughout this work in the podcast and in our book on practice as a way of being. So Bart knows how much it means to me to uh, talk to anyone about practice, but particularly Bart's uh, because uh, he said to me just before we started recording, he said, it's kind of cool because all this work I've done for many years, I've never quite thought of it as a practice. Bart, you're in a practice. And if you were to kind of put a tagline on what you think your practice is uh, after looking ahead and back, what is it? Well, the theme, Dave, that came through as I examined uh, my career to date um, has really been um, advocacy. Advocacy, I've discovered, has been and is my practice. I've always loved being in a position to be able to help others, particularly folks who were not very effective at uh, advocating for themselves. Yeah, and, and you, you've done most of that in sort of the, the line between the public sector and the private sector, uh, uh, where uh, a lot of people who are struggling and have big challenges not always picked up by the policymakers when you were doing that work for the Connecticut small towns or the, uh, the corporate people who are marketing to the world but forget that there's a whole bunch of people living in smaller communities and you you've gently been and directly been able to tell people hey there's a lot of fine human beings out there who can't quite tell you what's going on with their lives but let me help you and you have uh i'm rambling around a little bit bart but i 
what really prompted me to try one more time to get you to come on because you've been so so busy in your life is is your trip with Rory uh, the second time you've made the small town America tour and uh, I, I want to start with that because it kind of goes to the point uh, of your advocacy because you don't just want to read about smaller communities uh, and you've certainly known a lot about them over the years you want to see them you want to be with the people and see hey what's really going on out here so what are the kind of things you picked up on in this tour well i think a couple of things so one as you know uh in my company or my organization the barton russell group well prior uh, very early on the national association of towns and when i was president of the national center for small communities we uh, engaged a film producer to create a documentary to sort of tell the story of small town America and mm -hmm. also the story of our work to try to improve Main Street and the economic vitality of small communities. Very few people know that there are over 34,000 small towns, cities, rural counties in this country, and they represent of a huge number, 140 million plus people. And I think what was uh, instructive about the documentary that uh, the former film producer, Henry Felt, did for us was the opening line, which I know you know well. And it was um, describing small town America and, and expressing the notion that everybody thinks they know small towns because they fly over them from big city to big city airport, and they certainly drive by them on the highway. And uh, sort of a side story, years ago, there was a book called Good Eats, Five Miles Off the Interstate. And a friend, <laughs> of, mine, friend of mine shared it. And so Rory and I, my wife, uh, were on Interstate 95, and we decided to check out one of these Good Eat places. And it was amazing once you got off the highway in this rural, obviously part of a state, um, crossed the railroad tracks within five miles. There we were, almost like a scene out of Mayberry RFD. It was a little diner. Uh, the hostess had the old fashioned beehive haircut all top, uh, top of her head. And I, I've always just thought, how can we ignore this amazing demographic? Yeah. Uh, when I was flying, uh, forgive me for going on here, but it gets no, me. No, please do. This is this is what I asked for. When I was uh, uh, in Washington with the Association of Towns, I had to speak to a group in I think South or North Dakota, Bismarck, North Dakota, and I flew there, and it was the first time at thirty thousand feet, like the documentary that we produced said. I was noticing sort of little pockets, which were obviously villages below at 30,000 feet. They looked like specks. Yeah. And it just made me curious about, first of all, how did these villages, these small towns come to be? What was the, you know, sort of the Velcro that held people together there? Yeah. Uh, and why there? Uh, uh, so there's a lot of layers to that answer, but it just made me curious. And so um, these Discover Small Town America tours that we've been doing, this is the first one we've done post pandemic. 
were really an opportunity for us to explore and experience the people and the communities that are off the beaten path, the ones that I used to advocate for collectively uh, in Washington, D.C., because as a consultancy that specializes in working uh, with companies that want to do business or are doing business in, quote unquote, small town America, it's one thing to have a broad, generalized sense of that market, that demographic. Um, it's another thing to get on the ground and get off the highway and meet people who are problem solvers, uh, small town turnaround uh, heroes, which is what we did. I mean, we had several of those uh, opportunities on this last tour. And now I want to be able to tell uh, their story because I hope it'll inspire mayors and first selectmen and others leading small towns, along with, you know, business owners on Main Street there um, to take action, to improve their communities, make them better places to live and work. I think having um, both of you as appreciating folks coming uh, not to find fault, but to find the opposite, to find the, the treasures of uh, how people have crafted their businesses and their communities uh, is very, it's, it's quite unique. Uh, and then you wrote a blog posts, which I followed and did some great, took some great pictures. But I think that kind of generalizes at bar to your whole career of work, your appreciative eye and your ear, you were, you listened as you did on the tour and let them tell their stories. But then in order to get their stories up to the level of where, you know, the large entities are, the big corporations, the big governments and so forth, you had to figure out how to translate a lot of what you'd see with the eye and feel with the heart into hard data <laughs> and other and other things that, that help people move the rock. Uh, so you you figured out how to span a whole lot of uh, that distance between the smallest towns, for example, here in Connecticut, like I'm living in, and, you know, the, the state capital when you were one of our really most respected uh, advocates, <laughs> for that word, for small towns in Connecticut, of which there were over 100, I don't know, what was yeah, it, 100? I, I, uh, there's actually, uh, of the 169 cities and towns in uh, Connecticut, 130 qualify as, as yeah. small towns in that state. So, and yet and public policy was being made for the, you know, the smallest number compared to it. And then you got much into the, into the fray and, well, and made a lot of uh, people pay a lot more attention to their constituents. Here's there. the thing. I mean, I've always been surrounded by a team of uh, passionate um, others, yes. advocates, economic development specialists, lobbyists, lawyers that uh, understood uh, state and federal regulations and made sure that to the extent we could, we would scale them down so that they didn't create an inordinate burden for small towns. In the past, policymakers would create regulations without really understanding their actual impact on the ground affecting the smaller communities. They would just take a they would they design it for big cities that had large staffs and big budgets and expect yeah. somehow 
small towns are going to be able to small town leaders are going to be able to scale that down and and make it work. So so it's it's always been fun like that. I will say having numbers of of members, numbers of clients helps. So for example, in Washington DC when the National Association of Towns was being established and I was brought on to be its founding CEO. Mm-hmm. The first reaction to us attempting to get a seat at the table at the White House or in Congress was, shall we say, not welcome because others in the intergovernmental community, big city organizations, mm. county organizations, the Governor's Association, they already had their seats and they didn't want to share space and conversation and policy discussions with us. But the good news is having representing an organization with 13,000 small town leaders representing a, a you know a big population collectively gave us the sort of the power to really demand a seat. I, I, the old adage, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Man, you don't want to step on the toes of a grassroots government leader and ignore them because you get 13,000 squeaky wheels making noise and that gets attention. So, And, that, and so many of them are these select men and, and small town mayors and small city mayors. Uh, they're very passionate <laughs> about because they're doing it largely as volunteers. They, they, they are, Some of them ran businesses as well as uh, conducted the business of government. And, uh, they, you know they, what, did, they, they did not a, want to be ignored. <laughs> well, that's a good point. These look, I mean, every demographic, small town, suburban city, big city, you know, you've got uh, your bad apples. And so and one of my one of my concerns always was particularly among legislators in in Washington from the East Coast. There tended to be sort of a look down your nose um, at what. They at one actually called uh, my witnesses at a hearing the uh, uh, the boys from the prairie, prairie, the hayseeds. You know, there was there's just always been wow. built in <laughs> um, sort of negative feeling about people if they don't, you know, have pedigrees like yours. If they're farmers, many of my members actually operated farms and oh yeah, public service. Uh, officials as elected officials and you know they 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 love their hometowns and so my i always enjoyed an opportunity to help level the playing field and tell their story in a way that moved them beyond sort of a cartoon characterish uh image in the minds of uh some to give giving them credibility and respectability and and i will say there were several uh, members of Congress who obviously helped in that fight, sure. some with you know great credibility. I, one in particular was a senior senator from Minnesota who recently passed named David Durenberger. Mm-hmm. And he just welcomed us with open arms as new kids on the block in Washington, representing townships from his state and felt the same way, had the same passion as we did. You know, enough already with uh, the cynicism, you know, from guys that are in the flyover country. Let's, you know, they're all people. We're all trying to live our lives, some better than others. It's It's been a great run as an advocate in Washington. After Washington, 
you came back to Connecticut where you and I first met. Bart, it's been 40 years <laughs> since that first day we recon we connected. And yeah, I was I, actually still in high school, Dave. You first. were. I had to. <laughs> uh, you had to give me a permission slip to come on campus. Uh, but it, it, and and you came as we talked a moment ago up because there are a whole lot more towns in Connecticut than meet the eye, and and you picked up on that and you had the national experience and the national connections, and we were so grateful that you came uh, to scale your career to to fit more uh, where you could be really focused. I, I Honestly, Dave, I think I was probably one of the earliest remote workers. Uh, that yeah. was, <laughs> That's right. I was still working. You were running the leadership oh, center. With the National Center for Small Communities yeah. based in Washington, D.C. And of course, I could do the work I was doing remotely and uh, still I'd go to Washington, of course. Yeah. But it was uh, it was it was great to be back. In my in my home state, if only you could get rid of the snow. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> uh, with global warming, Bart, we may get you back before you know. That's it. true. <laughs> I I um, the, the you talked about uh, the legislators, both state and national, who are sometimes occupied by leaders who are not all that aware and sensitive to this huge number that you've just given us. But in recent time in the last 10 years, you have worked, well, during the time, all the time, particularly with the National Center, you were working with large corporations and, and they were funding a lot of the work and you you really understood their, their service obligations and helped them fulfill them. But there's something even more pertinent to some of these corporations, which is selling their product. And yet here's this huge market out there uh, of people who just happen to be living in towns of under 25,000, but aren't always picked up on their data sets. And, and so you've been helping some of these companies become, uh, not only more visible to the, these small town communities, uh, with what they sell, <laughs> but also to be help the small town communities be more visible to them and their, their uh, larger staffs and, stockholders and all the rest. Uh, for example, you crafted a wonderful contest, small C, to identify volunteers in the public work of the towns who were exceptional. And they were nominated by their town leadership. And uh, over the several years that we worked, and I have the honor of working with you on that and reading those nominations, it was it was very very touching and talk about advocacy because some of those folks who won the national rewards from the client that's that sponsored this uh got a lot of attention in the press and everywhere else and that was their moment in the sun so congratulations on that work what inspired well, you to do that uh, well so, that's a perfect jumping off spot to talk about um, our work now through the Burton Russell Group, which is right. a unique consultancy. I mean, it really is um, one of the few that focuses uh, on on companies that either do business in small town and rural America, or want to do business, or want to expand, or improve their image, their brand. And mm -hmm. so, 
while I'm no longer directly involved in the policy side of government activities affecting small communities, I am still passionate about those small communities. And so in, in this case, we were actually approached and retained by a company called Civic Plus, which is the largest technology services provider um, in the United States. It has, I think, over 12,000 users, public sector, mostly uh, city and town users, customers. Yeah. Um, and they've grown like crazy. But a couple of years ago, they approached us and said, listen, we're very well established in urban and suburban centers with lo larger local governments. And we see an opportunity to expand um, our brand outside of the central cities and the metropolitan areas. Can you do you have do you think you can help us put together a, a program that will give us some visibility and improve um, our involvement in these places, their engagement there? Yeah. And so that, of course, was welcome news to us because we love doing the kind of things that honor uh, small town leaders and small town volunteers. So we pitched and developed two concepts, one that was related to the decline of newspapers in small towns all around the country. And the idea was maybe they could, they Civic Plus could underwrite a program that would help towns develop their own sort of alternative press to fill the information gap yeah, since they're a technology company. Yeah. But the other one uh, was about honoring and awarding and recognizing volunteers, uh, public service and public safety volunteers through this program called Small Town America Civic Volunteer Award. Yeah. And they loved the idea and invested in launching it as a beta test. And as you know, we spread the word to the applicants through national associations like the National Association of Counties, the National Association of Towns to their members, uh, Main Street USA, yeah. uh, Points of Light, which is the largest volunteer organization in the world and a yeah. great audience of people to nominate and through the state chapters of these national groups. And so we were able to get the word out about what, what the program was and how to uh, nominate potential uh, winners, honorees. And it just, it took off. It gave Civic Plus, the client, uh, some visibility as a um, champion for all communities, large and small. And also, by the way, led to an increase in sales of their, their services. Um, but it also was, as, as, as I said at the outset, our company is committed to helping corporations do good while doing well. And so we had, as, as you know, you were a, one of our amazing judges. I was a judge, yep. And we had some unbelievable uh, nominations of people saving lives. Or one of my favorites, and I won't go long on this, there were we we called them bookend winners. One was a twelve-year-old girl, and the other was um, ninety, oh, hundred-year-old, but then ninety-seven-year-old woman yeah. who'd been volunteering 
for more than 70 years, was widowed, living on a farm, and was uh, the clerk of elections. And she loved welcoming people every year to the voting booths. And she would ring a bell and say, hear ye, hear ye. (laughs) The voting has now begun. And her biggest regret was that COVID um, resulted in her bowling team having to uh, shut down and what really was the problem is that she was the designated driver of her friends to the bowling alleys. You know, so it just uh, that's 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 the excitement I get. That's where I get my passion, telling their stories, sharing their stories and supporting them with. Yes. In some cases, we were able to give their hometowns uh, grants of up to, I think, ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, which does, you know, a small grant can go a long way in a small town. And so, yes. It, it, yeah. It, and and uh, we got a tremendous amount of uh, appreciation back from even the places where the nominee didn't uh, or put them on like an honor roll, which they deserve. But, you know, you, you were, you'd get messages back saying, you know, thank you so much. This, this was a, a a nice uplift. We've had a lot of tough news lately, you know, because that was taking us into the pandemic. But, you know, Dave, that follows on the heels of another. We've done multiple award programs for companies. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of which uh, uh, was for Walmart, and it was a $4 million uh, three year program called the American Hometown Leaders Award. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about it, and there's a great story right there in, in your state of Connecticut. Um, is that, you know, we the staff would go through and evaluate the applications. Uh, they'd be nominated by their town councils or boards of supervisors, uh, mm-hmm. the award, whoever they were. And a fellow named Ed Turn was the first selectman of the town of Andover. Um, and he was a winner, deserved winner. And he, he got a $5,000 check for his town. And I... Most people won't know Andover, but you do. It's sort yeah. of the town hall is down a dusty road off of uh, off of a highway. There is no there there in terms of a village center. No. And so Ed took the $5,000. And this is emblematic of so many of the projects that have been funded through our work. He recruited volunteers from his town, carpenters, masons, and 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 solicited donations from hardware companies. They built the world's coolest gazebo in front of town hall. Again, in the middle of nowhere, uh, that served then to the, to this day serves as a gathering place to create a feeling of community for Fourth uh, of July, uh, you know, celebrations and 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 that was just a five thousand dollar grant leveraged by. Uh, a passionate guy for his town that created a you know a real difference right there in Andover, Connecticut. Yeah, well, I used to live out that way, and I remember that. I think maybe I saw that. I think you had pointed it out to me, but that that sort of is an emblem. You mentioned emblem. It's also an emblem part of what I think your practice has been over the years. Uh, the bringing people together to raise awareness for sure but also to leave something tangible, something that says uh, we're still here. <laughs> uh, we've been here for 200 years, but we're still here and over Connecticut. And uh, listen to us, pay attention, because we provide a unique quality of life for 
maybe eight or 900 residents, but those are, some of them are quite uh, passionate about the fact that they're the fifth generation in towns like that here in Connecticut. Right. So you tap into that and you, you give it a very uh, listenable voice, which I now I'm watching my clock because I'd love to keep this going, but uh, we're within the time frame so that people could hear Barton Russell, better known as Bart Russell, who is my friend first and foremost. And so I thank you for that friendship. Uh, but also is not done yet. <laughs> right, Bart? That's, that's if, if someone someone came along, uh, or maybe they already are, and said, hey, I heard you've got a team that can really put something together and make it pretty damn wonderful. Uh, are you up for the challenge? What's your answer to that? Well, in fact, we are right now negotiating with a major Fortune 100 company to develop a sort of a broader version of the Small Town America Civic Volunteer Award. I say negotiation. We're in the middle of you know a conversation um, to determine whether they're going to be involved and really help blow this thing up with lots more grants for for eligible and uh, towns winners honorees so we're excited about that i mean I'm, yeah. I, I must say in addition to the others who are on our team we're blessed to have a fellow who is really well connected and and has a big heart he's a former uh, worldwide communications uh, a professional from ups and for four years, president of the UPS Foundation, the $100 million UPS Foundation. And so he's he's quite uh, comfortable in the corporate arena, and he is committed to the work we're doing. And so he's been a great partner, as, as have you uh, part-time and, and others uh, who yeah. bring unique perspectives to the uh, you, you, uh You and, and uh, Ken. Yes. put together an amazing core team and the what i learned is we went through this process way back with uh, initially with civic plus is it it's not something that you can uh, get people to say yeah let's do it it takes a lot <laughs> of conversations it takes a lot of drafts which you and ken have written uh prospectus and budgets and so forth but when it clicks Bart, wow isn't it exciting it, it, it is. Do I have a minute? You do. Okay. Well, I'd like to, uh, one uh, amazing member of our team, you mentioned her earlier, is uh, my wife, Rory Russell, yes. who for years was a senior performance consultant at Aetna and later went out on her own as a consultant. And I know you worked with her on a few projects. Yes. Uh, she always reminds me that in uh, proposing projects to companies, you have to show them What's in it for them? With me. <laughs> what's in yeah. it for me? Yeah, what's of course. It, what's in it for them? Don't just, just because you're passionate about an idea, it's got to make sense from a business standpoint. Um, and, mm -hmm. and so I want to give her credit. She's been a great co-proprietor of the Discover Small Town America tour, which, by the way, for your listeners is discoversmalltownamerica.com. If you'd like to sign on, become a, a member of our virtual road crew, uh, yeah. come join us. Uh, we're actually launching again tomorrow for yeah. another 30-day Northeastern yeah. tour, and we'll keep you posted and, and and do our blog post. And finally, a personal note about someone named Dave Firon. Oh, Dave has been a trusted 
good, supportive, great friend for more years than I want to admit to. Uh, <laughs> and I remember we met at the University of Hartford when he was yep. came in from Maine. Yep. And we were simpatico right away. Dave knew rural and small town Maine, and he knew our work with the National Center for Small Communities. And he also introduced me to a, a wonderful game that I played for many years called racquetball. Oh, you would bring that up in our last minute. <laughs> but uh, the last thing I want to say is Dave himself can be passionate, as you know, for those of you who've had him as a professor or worked with him in, in, in other ways. Uh, he, he also joined me in a sadly unsuccessful fight to keep the downtown YMCA <laughs> is where we used to play racquetball, but we, we formed a small group to fight back against their plans to close that facility, which sadly is, sits empty today. Still empty after over 10 years. Yeah, yeah, just, so we held a press conference in front of the building. My we had daughter, placards, her, your daughter. Yeah, so, so Dave, I think uh, you have multiple practices and you yourself could say advocacy is, is one. Thank you, Bart. I really love this conversation. Please don't forget me when the next big project comes along. I love working with you. You betcha. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and one more thing. How could I forget? The book On Practice as a Way of Being is available now in digital form, something that would be new, like podcasting to many of us. And it's a, a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when Peter Vale and I originated it several years ago. So please come to www.mylibrary, one word, dot world slash practice, and you'll see what I mean. Thank you.